Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Let's stand out of reverence this morning for the reading of God's Word. After we tore ourselves away from them and set sail, we came by a different route to Kaz, the next day to Rhodes, and then from there to Patera. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre because the ship was to unload its cargo there. So we found some disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there was over, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, escorted us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said goodbye to one another. Then we boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemus, where we were greeted by brothers and stayed with them one day. The next day we left, came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into Gentile hands. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped talking and simply said, the Lord's will be done. Father, thank you this morning again for the privilege to be here. Father, your word, God, is the lamp into our feet, the light into our path. Father, I pray that you would take full and free control, be in all things preeminent this morning. Hide me behind the cross and let your spirit speak to our hearts through your word as only you can. We commit this to you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in verses 1 through 9 again, you can kind of skim over that while I look. I want to share this first life application principle out of those verses today, and it is this. Sometimes God isn't saying no, just not yet. I, I, I see this a lot. I've dealt with this a lot in my lifetime. You know, you feel like God's leading you in a direction or God wants this to happen, and you, you want it to happen because it would, in, in our minds, and our understanding, in our time frame, it's, it's a good thing. It, this is what I want. This is what I think would be a good thing. And even when we can mesh that spiritually, we get even more excited, right? Because God, look, I'm, I'm doing some kingdom work. This is what I think you want to do. And then God will shut the door. And it's hard sometimes because we don't understand why God's doing what he's doing. And in all reality, sometimes we get real, real, real hurt. We get real upset. We get real bothered. God, why would you not let me do this really good thing that, that I know would, would greatly benefit the kingdom? Lord, I, I just don't get it. And what we do is we throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater, and we're believing that God has shut the door 
When in reality, a lot of times, it's not the fact that God shut the door. It's a timing issue. This is what I know about God's timing. It is impeccable. God's timing is more impeccable than anything you could ever imagine. I can't even tell you the number of times that some simple something happened and God just divinely orchestrated seeing somewhere because I was delayed in something else and I ended up meeting someone or someone mentioned something that would not have been mentioned had it not been. I mean, literally, his time is impeccable. Do you realize this? And that's the thing about God is that timing issue is extremely important. You think about even with God's timing in sending me to Longview Baptist Church. Had it only been one year before that Longview Baptist Church had contacted me about being a pastor here, it would have been impossible. It just so happened at the perfect time, God opened the door to me to meet a person and end up talking to somebody at the association office who knew somebody here that knew this little church that needed a pastor. And it was just at the time that I had just gotten out a few months before in the wheelchair. Again, God's impeccable timing. But now to Longview, if you think about those years ago, when Longview needed a preacher, a year seemed like 20, I would say. I'm speaking for those that were here. It's one of those that you go, God, why? We are wanting to do nothing more than to honor and to glorify you. And God, why won't you make happen what we know your will is? It wasn't time. It was not time. God knew. He divinely, it transcends time. God knows yesterday. He knows. This week again, I ended up watching the, the um, Back to the Future again. Watched all three of them. And I, I really appreciate that movie from the standpoint of, I can't believe it's been almost 40 years. Do oh. you realize that? What, 80, uh, 85, 95, 95, 2005, 2005 to 15, what will it be, 25? Yeah, 40 years is, we're knocking on 40 years. But that's the part that I always realize when I watch that movie, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a bad spiritual analogy, but to me it really, it helps me understand it. God can be everywhere at one time. God can be in eternity past, right now, present, and future. Now you might go, why, why does it matter that God can be in eternity past? Do you realize that every single thing has an impact on every other single thing and God knows everything that must impact everything at the times that it and even when we make a grandiose disastrous mess of things the awesome promise is what God's able to do is flawlessly weave it together to bring glory and honor to him now some people will go and start to say oh you know well God was responsible for that sin that turned out no no, God doesn't sin, nor does he tempt men to sin. We, by our own desires, go and do what we want to do, but God, thankfully, in his grace, his mercy, and the beauty of what he's able to do, is able to weave it together to bring glory and honor to his name and do what Romans 8, 28 promises. All things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's what's such a blessing about recognizing that and us, one of the best things that we can ever do is to truly get to the place where we allow God to be God. Now, 
Oh, you mean if we don't do that? No, God's going to be God whether we allow him or not. Do you want to be part of bringing glory and honor to his name? Or do you want to be nothing more than a cautionary tale? What does that mean? That means that you don't want to wait on God. You don't care what God's thinking is. You don't believe that he works anything together. Uh, you believe, um, oh, that's that belief where God spun everything into existence and walked away. A deism. You believe it's deistic. And God just spun everything into order and then said, all right, great, I'm done with that. And he walked away from everything. I would hate it if you believed that because not only is that not true, but God is intricately involved in everything in our lives. And I'm thankful for that because that is a great assurance and a great comfort to me knowing that God is orchestrating everything in the divine scale of his purpose, plan, and will. And I'm thankful for that because could you imagine if what mess that we're watching unfold right now, God was just sitting back going, oh, well, they made the mess, let them deal with it. And God wasn't orchestrating things for his glory. I would be, I would be extremely not only uncomfortable, but freaked out for that matter. I'm thankful, though, that God knows, and when we are, when God is merciful and gracious and convicts us even, and we're headed down a direction that you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Who's the last person to find out when actions are occurring in our lives, and let's just say our minds begin to engage in the act of train wreckery? Anybody know what train wreckery is? Anybody? Okay. It's a train that's headed downhill that has no brakes. When we make foolish decisions, we begin to involve ourselves in train wreckery. So we start going down the hill, and we're sitting on there going, oh, this is wonderful. It requires no effort to go this great, nice, beautiful ride that we're on, this scenic show. It is awesome, and I like speed, and it's just great, isn't it? It sounds good in theory, doesn't it? But what you don't realize when you have no brakes and you have no motor with which to act as a jake brake or a slowing mechanism, we begin the farther we go down when we head down and we don't listen to his conviction, Proverbs 1. We don't listen to the wisdom that's calling out. We're the last ones invited to the party, meaning we're the last ones that see the mess that we are engaging in and the level with which this mess is going to play out ultimately. Everybody else sees it. They're like, they're sitting in the stands going, ooh, this is bad. But isn't it ironic that the last people that know it is the very people that are falling victim to said mess, that train wreckery? The best thing we can do for ourselves is to let God have control. How does that look? What, what, is that, what does that look like in, in, in real theory? What, what does it look like in living every day? I'll tell you what it's like. It's when you wake up in the morning and you're honest with God. See, God already knows what's going on. Again, we're the last ones that are invited to the party sometimes because we don't want to, to be honest with ourselves and call a spade a spade. The best thing you can do and I can do is to say, God, I recognize right now I'm a wreck. As a matter of fact, God, I don't know my spiritual head from my feet. And right now, God, I don't even know if I want to know my spiritual head from my feet. But God, I'm going to tell you right now, I see it, I recognize it, and I know that I'm an out-of-control train. And Lord, I need your help. God, take control of my thoughts. Lord, you ready? This is a good one. God, will me to do what I should do instead of what I'm wanting to do right now. 
You see what we've done? Not only have we been honest with ourselves, we're being honest with God. What is God like more than anything? A contrite heart, meaning a heart that is yielded to him. And when we show him, God, I know that you're real. I don't even understand. Growing up, God, I saw this religion and I saw people living the counter totally polar opposite thing. And God, I just don't even know how this all fits together. Get honest with God. Do you think God's going to go, oh, I didn't know that? No, God already knows it. Again, we're the last ones to the party in honesty. Do you want to be that example? I told some people at work this week, um, I said um, they were talking about how frustrated they were and how they, they couldn't let fear go, and they were just, you know, it was terrible. They're laying awake at night and stuff. And I said, well, let me encourage you to do something. First of all, you know, God, don't teach me faith. You know, don't teach me patience. I said, why don't you just get honest with God and say, God, I'm struggling with trust right now. And, and God, Lord, just grow my faith and grow my patience. And, and Lord, don't allow me to fall in a mess because I am outwardly not trusting you to do what you promised to do. Get honest with them. Why do you want to sit in an intersection and then lay up in Vanderbilt for nine months and at the Stallworth Rehabilitation Clinic down there in Atlanta? You might think that sounds good to get your rest you're looking for. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I don't like that kind of teaching and I don't want it. I want God to teach me. I want God to grow me. I want God to bring me to that place willingly of my own desire instead of me having to sit and go undergo enormous amounts of suffering and pain see we don't get to choose who it happens to what's even worse than enduring it yourself somebody you love enduring that god knows what'll god knows what'll get to us i mean it's just the truth where are your idols where are your gods he's got to be the God, un numero uno. Get honest with him. In that situation right now where you're not wanting to trust him because you think it needs to happen now, let God, we're seeing that in the picture of this scripture right here because what? Paul was ready to go to Jerusalem knowing he was gonna die there. They said it's not time. The spirit led them to tell him it is not time. The spirit, they told Paul in verse four not to go to Jerusalem. Did that mean that though Paul knew that he was supposed to go and die in Jerusalem, was that God contradicting himself? No, it wasn't time. There was much more ministry that needed to happen before the time came that Paul was going to, exactly what we see down here at, at the bottom of that scripture, that very belt that was going to be tied up that's going to happen to you and you're going to die there. Paul knew that already. And he was at total peace with that. How many people in this building right now, including myself, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you're going to be tortured and killed because you love the Lord, would be excited and ready for this to happen. <laughs> Amen? Not. You'd be like, uh-oh, this is not sounding good because this can't be. They didn't say that in that book that I read about God's good life now and whatever it is that I've read about and how wonderful and health and wealth and prosperity and the excitement. That can't be a part of this Bible that that person told me about. Well, the kingdom is not about us. It's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about his kingdom. It's about God's purpose, God's plan, and God's will. So remember, sometimes God isn't saying no, just not yet. Listen to verses 10 and 12 again. While we were still staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, 
This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, deliver him into Gentile hands. When we heard this, both us and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Second thing I'm going to share with you this morning is this. No matter the outcome, we must press on. Now imagine this. The Holy Spirit was clearly leading Agabus to share this with Paul, knowing there's going to be suffering and there's ultimately going to be death when you go to Jerusalem. These are other believers. Other believers are begging Paul outside of God's will. You get this? They're begging Paul to step outside of God's will. Don't go to Jerusalem so you will not endure this fate. Be the same thing if, if knowing and understanding completely what was going on with Jesus and you were one of his disciples begging him not to go to the cross. Begging him to step outside of the Father's will. We know that wouldn't have been the case, but that's the picture right here. How many people, though, well-meaning Christians try to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ outside of God's will? I can't even count the number of times just in the time at Longview Baptist Church that I have heard others. And the input is I'm either in counseling or having conversations where someone was encouraging someone to do something completely unbiblical and unscriptural, not, out, not overtly wicked, but when they knew what God wanted them to do, well-meaning Christians, like, well, that, that, that can't be what God wants for you because God wants you healthy and healthy and blah, blah, blah. And, and you sit there and you go, you know clearly what God's telling you, but you decided to go out and put a statement on Facebook. Now you've got people who in their well-meaning hearts are willing you and trying to encourage you to step outside of the covenantal blessing of God's narrow road, the blessing of his protective circle, and engage in an act of defiance. Why? Because they see from the external that their Gibeonite perception of it, which is unscriptural, unbiblical, trying to do what that, remember the um, story I shared, I uh, preached about on a Sunday night or Wednesday night just a couple of months ago about that lion prophet? Remember the man had come and, that, and God said, do not eat, get out of there, go? And that other one says, hey, uh, God, God told me, after God had clearly told him not to do it, God told me that you can come to my house, you can eat with me, and we're going to fellowship and hang out and paraphrasing. Oh, okay, God told you that. Goes over there, eats with him, and what happened right after dinner? God speaks to this prophet and says, what did you do? I told you not to stop and eat, to keep going and get out of there and go home a different way. And what happened? You're going to die. Sure enough, what happened when he left the house? Lion came out, killed him. Don't let someone talk you out of your obedience. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your mother, your father, I don't care if it's the most respect. I don't care if it's a pastor. If they are leading you to walk outside of what God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's not unbiblical what you're doing. You have prayed about it. God has clearly led you to where you're at without question. Not because your horoscope, you got the little black eight ball when you were young and shake it up. And, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, don't know now. 
You want to sit around and not do what God wants because somebody's encouraging you to just wait? Wait, doing what God has commanded you to do or whatever it might be. Be very careful, church, because I will assure you, what does the enemy masquerade as? An angel of light. And he uses influence even in godly people. He uses all kinds of things to try to steal, kill, and destroy. So don't ever forget, no matter what the outcome is, press on. Stand firm, no matter what the cost is, church. Because what we are a part of is eternal. It is not going to disintegrate and it will stand the test of time your faithful commitment, your steadfast devotion to the kingdom, and you will actually truly, though, experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. That is the differentiation between what we have and the world promises versus being a follower of Jesus Christ, living in the perfect peace, that knowing him, honoring him, glorifying, serving him, there's not a concoction or a chemical on the planet that will give you a sustaining peace like the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that guards your hearts in him, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then again, third and final thing I want to, we'll get from verse 13 and 14. Look, it says, Then Paul replied, What are you doing? Weeping, breaking my heart. I am not ready to be bound. I am, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped talking and simply said, the Lord's will be done. How about that from the beginning? Amen? Lord's will be done. That's kind of a really good, I say that every week when I leave on Tuesday. See you next Monday, Lord willing. Church, every time we see each other, Lord willing. We don't, we don't have a clue what tomorrow holds. We don't have a clue what one o'clock today holds and we're getting pretty doggone close to it, aren't we? An hour and a half. We don't have a clue. Our lives, if you're a believer, are intertwined with the kingdom. And there's not a week that goes by that either I don't either know somebody indirectly or hear a story like I heard yesterday with what happened to our friends, little child, little girl. There is not a day that goes by or a week that goes by that I don't hear something in some semblance that someone who had no clue, you know, there was a story this uh, last night I heard that I believed was going to end really bad from my background in law enforcement. It was a girl in Georgia, who's a nursing student, I believe, if I remember correctly, headed home from, not, I don't believe it was nursing, but had a side job on the interstate, calls the police. There was an, an infant or toddler on the side of the interstate. She called them to let them know that there was an infant on the interstate. And then the next call she made was to a sister-in-law, I think, and she's having a conversation with her. Next thing you know, the phone is open line, but she hears a scream, and that's it. Well, you're over 20, you know, you're, you're 24 hours, and I'm kind of going, this is not going to end well. So somebody I'd had a conversation with about it sent me a link this morning. That woman just popped back up. By the way, they found her car. They found her phone found her wig and some other things scattered out there by her car. But this woman has just inextricably reappeared. Doesn't happen every time. There's some weird, you know, happenings and things. So every time, it's not necessarily that something terrible has happened, and, but we have no clue, church. We have no clue any day of the week what can happen to us.
We don't have any clue on any given day of the week what can happen to our spouse, to our children, to our parents, to our grand. Hey, 83-year-old man, last week my phone went off and there was one of those uh, uh, silver alerts. I didn't recognize that that silver alert was not three miles from my house, just up the street from us. And this 83-year-old man literally disappeared. He's just completely and utterly disappeared. He's got Alzheimer's. They're still looking for him. But there's no telling what's happened. We don't have any promise of tomorrow. And that's why it's so important. The third and final thing I want to share with you is this. God's will should always be our desire. Never ours. Never our will. Let God's will be our desire. Let God's will, God's purpose, God's plan, not our will. Because if we engage in the Gibeonite deception and our desire and saying, you know what, I, I think I know what's better in this situation with my child, with my wife, my husband, I think, you know what, I, I don't like what God's desire for this is right now, so I'm going to will what I want into existence. Church, it never ends good. It doesn't. It's the same way as believing legalism makes you more of a Christian. When you follow a set of rules, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I only wear a suit in the pulpit on Sunday with a tie, and, and I, I leave the first button or I leave the second button buttoned, and, you know, any man of God would never wear anything in the pulpit but a suit, and, you know, anybody that is anybody would never read any version other than the King James. Let's just get serious. And why don't we do the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic if you want to get serious about it? Invest a little time in some Rosetta Stone, Amen. If you want the real thing, let's get real and let's stop talking about translations because guess what? The original King James is not the one we're reading, by the way. Do you know this? What year is the original, they say all the time? The 16, you know the 1611 is not the King James. If you have one today, it's not the original 1611. I encourage you to go home and get online and read the original 1611. You're going to go, what is this? You can't read it. The translation that you have, if you have a King James now, is a translation down from the 1611. Show me I'm wrong. What I mean by this, church, we get, we get really off key. We get off balance. We go down these forks in the road if we're not careful. And we end up thinking, see, because I dress in a suit and I make sure my shirt is pressed and, and, and God's, God's, God's more, he's more happy with me than he is with them. Now, do I think we should be respectable when we come to worship and not look like we crawled out of a dumpster? I think that's kind of somewhat important. I, I don't think we should be a distraction. Does it make us any more spiritual and God loves me more? No. No. Because the next thing you go is, oh, you know what? I've never tried a cigarette before, so God loves me more than you. And I've never had a taste of alcohol in my lifetime. I never did anything bad. And I've been a faithful wife or a faithful husband. And I've been to church every Sunday morning and night and Wednesday night. And I've gone visiting and I've done. And God is much more happy with me than he is with you. Really. How about living in the OT, Old Testament? 
because that's what happens when you do that. You end up saying to yourself and convincing yourself and buying into the deception that what? That your works make you more present. God loves you more because you're not like them. And I will be honest with you, if you look at how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees, he kind of scorched them pretty good. And this is what I've always said. You imagine what Jesus looked like showing up in the temple? You think Jesus showed up in the proverbial suit and tie of that day? Jesus was a carpenter. He would have looked pretty much like the everyday ordinary person. He was very approachable. And that's why I have even learned a lot in myself as I've gotten older that it's easy to get caught in things that are not biblical. There's nothing wrong, but you've got to be careful because if we assemble these mountains, we build these mountains, and we end up defending things, there's times when we can be so far from the true presence of the Lord that we don't know our left from our right. And it's super easy to do. doesn't matter what it is. You can go the other direction. I don't want, I, I want, I want, I want the, um, I don't know, the meth heads to see me as relatable, so I'm going to come in here and look like I just crawled out of a bush somewhere after a really bad streak at Bonnaroo. And I, you know, that's, no, come on. Let's, let's do something. Let's be light. Let's come out of the darkness. Let's let God be God. Because if you come in here and you're dressed how you're able to do and, and you care about your appearance in the sense that you don't want to be a distraction. You don't want to be a diversion from the real thing. You know what the good thing is? God and the Spirit of God can reach a person's heart, and the more genuine you are in who you are, the more relatable you're going to be because the Spirit of God's the one that's working through you, and you're not caught on some legalistic boat that's sinking as you've got a bucket trying to keep it from sinking. Stay focused on what matters, and more than anything, God's will should be our desire. The question becomes, what is God's will? We know what God's will is, that no one perish. We know that God's will is that people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. How can I best be a lighthouse to this generation, Lord? How can the world see Jesus lived out in my life? Live it. Live what? Do you want to talk like the world? Do you want to act like the world? If you talk and you act like the world, my question to you is, and you answer it in your heart of hearts, how will the world ever see Jesus in me if I am a mirror reflection of the world? And I say to that, go home and smoke that over. You know what I'm saying? I say that every time, but that's a... That's a statement to go home and think it over. Don't smoke and think about it. No, go home and process that. Think about that. What is going to make the world see Jesus in you if you and I look just like them or if we're a chameleon, we adapt to any situation? How's the world going to see Jesus in you if you adapt to the world instead of the world adapting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives. Are there a lot of things that if I wasn't a Christian, I would engage in? I assure you so. Are they productive? 
to not only your health, but also to realizing as a Christian, you've been set apart, you've been called out. Yeah, they're contradictory to that. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, what is our desire? Not to live according to the flesh. Matter of fact, Colossians 3, I would encourage you and challenge you again to get back in Colossians 3. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the greatest scriptures. Sorry, church, I know this one in King James. That's why I say it in that all the time. If you have then, if ye then be risen with Christ, meaning if you have been risen with Christ, seek the things, I'm changing the wording to the understandable. If you've been risen with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For we have been crucified with Christ. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. We are dead, and our life is hid with Christ in God. And farther down in that chapter, it says, put away the old, the, the old things. In order and affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath and curse cometh on the children of disobedience. This is what's profound in there. In them you once were. Now you are a child of the light. Interesting. What that's showing is a vast distinction between what we were and now what we are. I challenge you to step back. I think Paul really hits it when he says, examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. Step back. Look inside. You're paraphrasing now. Look inside. What, what are you? Where, where have you come from? Where are you now? That um, a number of the people have listened to here, Jonathan Kahn's really good. Return of the Gods, right? Get a chance, listen to it. But what it talks about is how the, the parallel with the parable of the house swept clean, I preached on that just a few months ago. So easy, why? And I actually did a study in it last year. I preached it last year too. I don't remember if it was a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, but it was so profound because something jumped out at me in that parable as I read it last year and was, was meditating on it because it's such a, it's so simple conceptually, the concept of it, but wow, is it deep. This house has been swept clean. You think about someone who gets saved. The house is swept clean. Remember, I mean, literally, you know the day you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you felt like you could go and preach to a, a, a stadium of a million people. You want everybody to get saved. You want everybody to experience what you've experienced. So the picture of the house being swept clean was talking about the demons. Because if we're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the rightful ability for demons to infest and infect us, that's what we have as lost people. We are a force for the enemy. We're lost. We're broken. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, as the house is swept clean, put in order. It says the demons go to arid places seeking rest. When they come back, it says they find, this is interesting, their house unoccupied. So they come back, bring seven more wicked spirits, and the condition of that person is worse at the end than it was at the beginning. Their house. Fast forward to Revelation. Remember when John 
is in a vision in Revelation. In Revelation, uh, if I remember, it's chapter 5 in Revelation. And John is in a vision, and he is at this pivotal point in history when there was no one, it appeared, that was able to take the title deed to earth. Now, this is actually not the earth itself. It's talking about those who profess faith in Christ Jesus. But there was no hope for mankind at this point. Everybody was doomed. John, in this vision, is weeping. He's weeping because he's not in a glorified state at this point. He's in a vision. Weeping because there's no one that was able to take from the enemy the title deed to all of the hearts of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. So he is hopeless at this point. There is no hope for anyone. Then all of a sudden, there's this weight. The line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He is worthy to take the scroll. And he begins rejoicing because you have this beautiful picture of the hopelessness apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the redemptive work of his ability to take captive our souls and hearts because of what he did. And this moment in history that was the picture of hopelessness becomes the essence of all hope. So back to the parable of the house swept clean. The house swept clean that has not been filled with the Holy Spirit is a house that looks beautiful, but is a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones, as Jesus would call the Pharisees. So the reason that the demons were able to come back and infect is because it was their house. The title deed had not been transferred. How many people have you ever seen that profess faith in Jesus Christ and a short time later, you'll see them and go, what happened? You never see any more spiritual life in there and you don't understand. Brothers and sisters, that parable is the picture of that. If you do not allow the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, when you do not delight yourself in him, you can't receive the desire of your heart because there is no desire to know him, to honor him, to glorify and to serve him. Church, it's the proverbial picture of an empty house that gets filled. And have you ever seen someone that you knew had prayed to receive Christ and there was some change, but then you see them and they're seven times more wicked? Church, that's the picture of that. That's why it's so important when week in and week out, I'm hammering you with the importance of being in God's word, the importance of walking with him, dwelling in his presence, recognizing your sin, repenting of it, turning and fellowshipping and dwelling with him because the enemy's desire is for us to be three of those four seeds planted. He does not want you to be in that fertile soil that takes root and produces a crop. He wants more than anything for the enemy's desire to steal away, as that parable says, steal away the good seed that was planted. Get in God's word. Delight yourself in him, even on those times that you don't even feel like it. And you feel about as spiritual as a plastic bottle that's used has been far since used that's floating in the water or sitting in a field somewhere. You look at that. When I see one, I go, there's no hope for that ever being something viable again. It is lost. You and I can either be a spiritual crop 
that produces great things for the kingdom as you delight yourself in the Lord, as you are filled to overflowing with his power, his presence. You can be that man of God, not because you're able to be, not because I have the gift to be that man. No, because the Spirit of God does in us and wills us to do his good pleasure, his good purpose. It's the power of God that transforms that man, that woman, that child of God into an object with which the, cra- the potter is able to use to mold us and to make us for his glory. While the enemy wants you to hear none of this, he wants you to continue in a life of spiritual apathy, complacency, indifferent, not worried because it's all going to work out. It's actually not going to. Seek him with all your heart. What is the promise of scripture? I will be found. God's will, church, should always be our desire. God's will. We know that the closest thing to the heart of God is people, life. Do you want to delight yourself in something? Give your everything, dwell in the presence of the Lord, and then love your neighbor, love your brother as yourself. Minister to those people that God's given you in your life, recognizing that they're a gift from God, divinely, divinely placed in our lives to be an extension of, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is it hard sometimes? Sure it is. There's nothing easy about relationships. The closer the relationships, even in a church body that we have, the easier it is to hurt one another because the closer we are, the more real we become with one another. And that is a good thing, but at the same time, we always have to be careful because the enemy wants nothing more than to fracture and to remove us from these genuine relationships that help us grow and be the people that God's called us to be. So where are you at this morning? We titled the message, or the subtitle this morning, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. Where are you this morning in relation to where God's desire is for you to be and where you are? It can sound really good when you go, well, I want to be where God wants me, okay? What are you doing to ensure that? You can't sit back and just will it into existence, Amen? The same way you can't go and will yourself to be at work and just because you weren't there, you had a will that you willed yourself to be there so they're going to count you present as a result. No, you have to be there, don't you? It takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. How committed are you this morning to the call of a disciple? You say you're committed? Let me ask you a question. This is a real true thing, right? We go to church three times prospectively, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. How many times have you stood and bragged about your perfect attendance award at at work? Never been late, been there for 45 years. How is your commitment in the body of Christ comparatively to your work? You always look for an excuse to duck out of church? My question is, do you do that at work? If those both look equal, you understand it because that might be part of your personality character. But if you... Pride yourself on your faithful commitment to to manna, to the money. You find yourself indifferent to the things of the Spirit. I challenge you this morning. Do what Paul said. Step back. Where's your heart? Because these things do matter. God knows our hearts, and maybe this morning that just hit a raw nerve with you. Get in the presence of the Lord and say, God, I just realized that my commitment to the things of the world, to money, to to possessions, have greatly exceeded my passion and commitment to you. 
And God, I know that's not right. This is the way you started this morning. I don't know how to get it from here to here, but I know I want to be where you're preeminent in my life, Lord. I want to dwell with you, and I want a relationship with you, Lord, like I have desired in my lifetime as those godly men or that godly woman. Maybe your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother, your father set that spiritual demonstration for you, and you want to be like them. You want to have that passion and love for the Lord, not for others to see you, but you want a genuine walk with Christ like they did. I want to encourage you to do something today. Get honest with God and say, God, I know today you have not been number one, and I know that anything other than that is sin, and I want today to not only enter and dwell in your presence, but God, I want a relationship with you that makes every other relationship I've ever seen anyone with in their walk with you, I want it to pale in comparison. God, I want to die to myself to the greatest level I know possible and be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and experience the fulfillment in walking with you to that level. If that's your heart today, I promise you, God will answer it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.